I've often said that sermons cannot be recycled. However, a good story can. And there will be, as I look around, I see a few people who've perhaps heard the story I'm about to tell. Some of you have not. Um, but imagine, imagine it's uh, 3 o'clock in the morning on a dark North Carolina evening. And six, six young men in a, Ford, in a 1970 Ford Fairlane uh, are creeping down the roads, not much interstate in those days, off again, on again. At this point, the route to Rockingham, North Carolina, led through Shelby, North Carolina. Uh, the destination was the Rockingham Speedway, not for a NASCAR race, but for a rock festival. And yours truly was behind the wheel as we made our way through the North Carolina night. Um, of the six people that were in the car, yours truly had a moment of crystal vision and had maintained his faculties, if you will, for the entire trip, thinking this is a long drive, it involves all night. I am a reckless young man, uh, but I have at least some sense. And so I kept my faculties about me. I can't say that about the other five. But we, uh, at three o'clock in the morning, had to go through Shelby, North Carolina, uh, which is on the way to Rockingham. And in those days, uh, you had to go through there. Now, the Shelby Police Department had made a decision because so many people were going to be coming through Shelby uh, on the way to Rockingham that they were going to stop every car that came through Shelby, North Carolina that had suspicious looking people in it. And I assure you, we were suspicious looking and perhaps suspicious because their goal was to seize any contraband that might be coming through Cleveland County and Shelby, North Carolina. And I will defer either confirming or denying that there was any contraband in that 1970 Ford Fairlane that night. You can use your imagination. So, so we're going through Shelby. The speed limit was 40 miles an hour. I slowed to 35. And we did pass a police car coming the other way, right in the middle of town, right in front of the Western Auto store. Can I get an amen for Western Auto? You don't see those anymore. There was a way, it seems like in every town there was a Western Auto right in the middle of town. So the, car, the police car was coming this way. I set up as straight as I possibly could. And he glanced over into the car. And then they made a U-turn in the parking lot. <laughs> of the Western Auto Store and lit us up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I pulled off the road and thought, you know, this, this very well could be it. So I got out of the car to meet the officer back whenever that was still an okay idea to ask him what the problem was. And he was straight up about it. He said, we're stopping everybody coming through here. We're making sure that nobody is bringing anything into this area that they shouldn't be. I said, yes, sir. I said, uh, he said, I need to see your driver's license and registration. And so there were two of them. And while I was working with this officer, the other one had a flashlight, I think that was that long, had a big leather strap on it. And he's and he's shining it into the windows of the car. And, and one of the chief conspirators in the back seat of that car woke up to that flashlight in his eyes. And I don't know if he fell back to sleep or he passed out. I think he passed out from sheer fear. But I found my driver's license right away, but I could not find the registration for my car. So I had this wallet stuck in my, bill, my, uh, uh, in my glove compartment that had just all, it had receipts from stuff I'd bought three years before. And I was filtering through 
through all of these things in my wallet, putting them out on the hood of the car, trying to find my registration. And the officer was shining his flashlight, becoming uh, a little bit... um, a little bit tired of of this wild goose chase until at one moment I flipped through a business card. It was my father's. My father had started rescue squads all over the state of Tennessee. And even as it turns out, thanks be to God, in Shelby, North Carolina, or Cleveland County, North Carolina. And so as I was flipping stuff out of my wallet, that business card that said, Skip Trotter, President, Tennessee Association of Rescue Squads, landed on the hood of the car. And the guy shined his light on it, and he shined his light up in my face, because at that point, I thought, yeah, I could hear the cell door slamming shut. (laughs) And he looked at that, and he looked at me, and he said, do you know Skip Trotter? And it was like this flicker of hope. And I thought, you know, we may get out of this yet. I said, yes, sir. That's my dad. You're Skip Trotter's boy? Yes, sir. And he yelled at his officer. I can't remember the, his partner. I don't remember his name. But he yelled at him and said, hey, Bob, or whatever he's saying, this is Skip Trotter's boy. And, you know, because my hair is down to here. No way. And they came over. My father had been to Shelby, North Carolina to start a rescue squad, a a volunteer rescue squad uh, for Cleveland County, not a year before that. And they loved my dad. And by association, they loved me. So he said, you know what, son, Uh, just take your time. We're going to let you go on now. And you go on over there and have a good time at your rock concert. And I said, yes, sir. Thank you very much. And I got in the car. I was pale and I was trembling and I got everything back in my wallet. And we did make it to the big rock concert. You know what? I behaved myself the whole time. It was one of those times whenever it was such a gift of grace. I thought, you know what? I need to behave myself. But I learned something very important. Uh, and, And that is this, when we are unknown, we are identified by association. And fortunately, I was identified by my association with my father, who was a hero to those two officers and probably some other people in that county. And because my father was okay, that made me okay. And that And by the way, as far as you know, that story is absolutely true. Uh, And that is, (laughs) that is the pretext. That is, I believe, the theme of the passage I'm going to read in just a minute. As we continue to talk about turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ, there is this story that I'm going to read from Scripture that you know, if Acts is a journal, and, and I think it really is, the book of Acts is really a journal of the early church and all the things that happened for good, for bad, and for otherwise. This represents the story we're going to talk about is, I believe, was, was the, the biggest epiphany, the biggest light bulb moment for, in the entire history of the early church. And uh, because, because the early church started with the Jewish people. It started with people who were descendants of Abraham and Sarah, and it was their understanding that, uh, that God had, had made them his favorites. And their job, of course, was to go out into the world and to tell others about God. And they had succeeded and failed uh, both at that job along the way. But as far as they were concerned, they were still ground zero for God's love. They were the vessel through whom God's love was going to go out into the world. Yes, Jesus was the Messiah, and they had come to believe in Jesus. 
but they also believed that they still held a special place in God's heart, and, and, I, and I think they probably do. But, but Jesus' mission was never meant to be limited simply to the nation of Israel. Jesus would allude to that himself, and Jesus did it kind of passive-aggressively. Uh, you know, he did it with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the hated Samaritan woman. Jesus stopped and had a drink of water with her and changed her life in a conversation, and she went back to her village, and all, a bunch of lives were changed because of that conversation. There was the Canaanite woman <clears throat> whose daughter needed to be healed, and, you know, Canaanites, they were Gentiles, and Jesus, she came to, you know, Jesus was up in that part of, part of, the, of, of the country, and, and she asked Jesus to heal her daughter. And he said, I, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. And she said, yeah, but don't the dogs even get the scraps that fall off the table? And, and Jesus said, look, this woman's faith is greater than all of Israel. So Jesus already was pointing toward the fact that the mission was going to expand beyond the nation of Israel. And so in this passage today, we're going to see where it did just that. Now, it's a little bit of a ramp up to this. Um, this story begins, uh, chapter 10 of Acts, which is where we are, begins with a story, oddly enough, about Cornelius, a guy named Cornelius who was a Roman centurion. Now, you want to talk about Gentile. And, and you know, by the way, you and I are Gentiles. Anybody who isn't a Jew is a Gentile. And a Roman centurion would have been the Gentilest of Gentiles. There could could possibly be at that moment in time. And the story starts with this Gentile, Cornelius, who they were, it says, was trying to seek after God. They were doing good things, praying, you know, but he wasn't Jewish. And so he has this vision that says that somebody is going to come and see him, or actually that he needs to go to Joppa and get this guy named Peter who will then come and see him. And at that same moment, Peter, who is in Joppa, has this vision. And in that vision, Peter was hungry. It was up on the roof, and it says he fell into a trance. And he sees this vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with all of these animals that, that, they were, that the Jewish folks were never supposed to eat. And the vision, in the vision, the voice said, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I could never do that. These are unclean. I've, been, I've kept ceremonially clean my whole life. And the vision said, no, no, no. Do not, say, do not call anything unclean that God says is clean. And, and Peter understood the implication to that. <clears throat> and so they had these visions at the same time. And so some people came, to make a long story short, uh, the Cornelius's people went to Joppa. They found Peter, brought him back to Cornelius' house, and they had this conversation. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. Peter is now in the home of this Gentilist of Gentiles, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, no less. He's in his home, and, and Peter even says, I shouldn't even be here, but I had this vision. And they understand that they had their visions essentially at the same time. So we pick up. Then Peter began to speak. Now, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. If you have a Bible, highlight that. 
you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone, everyone, another good word to highlight, who believes in him and receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, this is a great moment, the Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, meaning the Jewish people, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, even on the Gentilest of the Gentiles, Cornelius the centurion. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. That shifted the entire mission, the the entire trajectory of the early church hinged on that passage. That's why we're here. We're Gentiles, you know. And there have been times in my life when I was the Gentilest of the Gentile too. But it doesn't matter because we have been accepted because that's the way God loves. The Jewish believers had had based their misunderstanding on who could be included based upon assumptions that they made about the Gentiles in their midst. And we make, the same, we make the same sort of decisions about who we think can be included. And when I say we, I'm talking about the church in general. I'm talking about all Christians, not just you and me. But there have been times that I have made my own judgments, and I regret that I did. And maybe you've done the same. But we usually make those judgments based on a misunderstanding about the Gentile or the non-believer or, or this person, whoever it is, that may be in our midst. But God knows for a fact who they are. The Holy Spirit came upon these people because they were with Jesus. It, the Jewish folk didn't understand how they had gotten there because they had their rituals and they had their traditions and they had been in the physical presence of Jesus. But they, these Gentiles had heard about him. And they were seeking after him the best they could. But then, faced with the truth, they believed and they were baptized. As verse 36 says, Jesus is Lord of everyone and everyone can call him Lord. Now, 
pause. That doesn't mean everybody will. It doesn't mean that every single person in the world is a-okay and we have to be just fine with them. That's not what I'm saying. We know for a fact that there are people that aren't a-okay. There have been times in my life I have not been a-okay. But what the point of this is, is everyone can call Jesus Lord. Everyone should have the opportunity to call Jesus Lord. And everyone should start from a place of you are A-OK until we find out differently. And, and, and certainly, oh my gosh, just read the news. There are so many people that aren't A-OK. And, and I'm not suggesting that, that everybody is. But you understand what I'm saying. Everybody is included in this opportunity to come to Christ and to call him Lord. Think about it this way. This hit me this week um, because I knew that uh, we would be praying the Lord's Prayer in communion. And I started thinking about the Lord's Prayer, especially Matthew's version. We pray the Lord's Prayer. How does it start? Our Father. Pause. I started thinking, wait a minute. Our Father. When we say the word our, we are making an assumption that we are in some sort of group of people. Our implies us. When we say our, we're talking, I may be, you know, I may be telling someone about our family, or I may be somewhere else telling somebody about our church. You know, our includes a group of people. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say our Father. Whose Father? Who is our? Who is included in our? Our. And I started thinking about when Jesus preached that, he, for, he, he, he taught that prayer uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, and there were all these people around him, including some of the disciples who had gathered, and my guess, maybe a lot of them were there. And later on in Luke's gospel, they were all there. And I started thinking, who was, who was there that Je when Jesus said, our, to this group of people? Judas was there. Matthew, the tax collector, that hated tax collector, he was there. Peter was there, the one who would deny that he even knew Jesus, would deny and curse his name three times before the cock crowed. He was there. He was included in that hour, our father, probably a lot of other rascals, people like me. I'm in that group, even me. And I started thinking about that. Who do we see? When we say our Father, who do we see around us? When I say our family, I see Lynn, Lauren, and Christy, and I see the grandchildren and others. Who do we see when we see? Do we see a small select group? Or do we see the potential for everyone to potentially be in that group when we say our Father? We can't pray our Father and presume to decide who is included in the word our. Now, that was painful for me to come to on my own. And I thought about that, and it was convicting, made me a little mad, because I have certainly personally been guilty of that, of trying to select who is in my little group of our. But it's a lot of people. And then, but, but I'm in there. And if I'm in there, wow. 
I don't get to decide who God includes. And this is hard because of traditions and our upbringing. I guarantee you it was hard for the Jewish people because these Gentiles, they were afraid of them. They didn't know anything about Jewish tradition. They ate the wrong way. They dressed the wrong way. They didn't know how to sing the Psalms the way the Jewish people did. They ate all sorts of food they weren't supposed to eat. And yet, God had included them in a group. And not just that. Think about this for a minute. The very home that Peter was in when this revelation came that we are reading about this morning, Corne they were in Cor Cornelius' house. He was a centurion. Now, we don't know, and there's no reason for us to think that he would have been there at the crucifixion, but we know that there was a centurion who was there who said, surely this man was the Son of God. And there were centurions. Centurions were part of that group. And so even if Cornelius wasn't there, and again, there's no reason to believe that it was him. There's nothing in the Bible that says it was. But we do know this. He was part of the group that killed Jesus. He was absolutely part of them and was identified with that group. The people who drove the nails in his hands and his feet. Cornelius was part of that group. And sometimes we identify by association if we don't know. And, and, and Peter would have had every right in the world whenever they said, Cornelius the centurion wants you to come to his place. Peter would go, uh-uh, you can kill me right here. I'm not going there. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to get in the same town with that Christ killer. No way. He could have. But he had had a vision from God. And the vision from God said, don't call unclean who I've called clean. And so he went. And oh, Cornelius, the Christ killer, or at least part of the, that group, he was baptized. And you know what, brothers and sisters, and here's where I'm going to take to meddling. We do the same thing, potentially, when we start identifying people by groups. We start saying, well, this person looks like one of them, or this person talks like one of them, or this person is from here, or this person thinks this way, or whatever. So that person must be bad. That person must be unclean. And I've done it, and my guess is you've done it. Why? Because we're human beings. God understands those impulses we have. It's not okay. We had a bishop, Bishop Swanson, and he once said this when we were having a conversation about who could come into the church and who couldn't. And I'll never forget this, and I give him full credit for it because it was brilliant. And I've used this in my way of thinking about lots of different people whom we may or may not let into the church. And Bishop Swanson said, I, I could imagine myself when I die having one of two conversations with Jesus. One is, Lord, some people came to your church, and I wasn't sure whether they belonged or not, so I didn't let them in. I hope that's okay. Or, he said, I could have this conversation. Lord, some people came to your church, and I wasn't sure whether to let them in. And then I remembered, you let me in. And so I let him in. I hope that's okay.
He let, he let me in. He let you in. Who's in your hour? Who, 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 who are we talking about when we say our Father? It's got to be a wide circle. And we'll let God sort out who is or isn't supposed to be there. That's way beyond my pay grade. What I want to do is invite him to the table and let God sort it out with him. That's what we're called to do. We're called to open our arms and say, God loves you. It doesn't mean everything everybody does is okay. I'm not saying that. Lord knows I've done so much stuff in my life that wasn't okay. Still do and say things I shouldn't. But Jesus forgives me and accepts me. May we do what we're going to ask these confirmands to do tonight, to accept our acceptance and then to go out into the world with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness and let others see that they are accepted too. Amen? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.